how many of you have something that you don't want to miss today? Is there anything you don't want to miss? We're feeding the football team right after church. I don't want to miss the food or the dessert. You guys in agreement with me? I don't want to miss it. Is there a ball game that you don't want to miss this afternoon? Hopefully the Cowboys get beat tonight against the Texans. Saints win. Are the Saints playing today? Are they off? Play Monday. The Saints, okay, you won't want to miss that game. If you're a player, you don't want to miss a block or a kick or a pass or catch you. There's certain things you don't want to miss. And this morning, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about one primary thing, but we're going to touch on another about some things you absolutely don't want to miss. We've started a new sermon series today. It's still in the 2 Corinthians 5 and 6 uh, passages. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 6. If you don't, no problem. The Scriptures will be on the screen. But we're going to look at some things that, in regards to God that you don't want to miss. Right, this sermon series, we're talking about your calling and about God's call on your life. And it's obviously God's call on your life and what God wants to do in you and with you and through you is extremely important. It's so important, I promise you, you don't want to miss it. I want to begin with Christians, and this is kind of the theme of the series. We're just going to touch on it briefly this morning because it's a part of this passage, but not the main part. If you're a Christian, you don't want to miss your life calling. If you're a Christian this morning, God has got a purpose for your life. God's left you here for a reason. God wants to do something through your life. And again, the next few weeks, we're going to really hammer this home. But if you look in chapter 6, verse 1, God through Paul says, working together with him, working together with God, we appeal to you, we beg you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Some translations rightly translate that. We are co-workers with God. We are co-laborers with God. Co-laborers with God doing what? Well, you go back to verse 20 of chapter 5. It tells us we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God is making his appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador in Paul's day was a very important person, and still an important person today in the United States government. An ambassador then and an ambassador today represents their country, their king, their president to a foreign country. Let's say the United States ambassador to France. He's a United States citizen. He lives in France. That's where he lives, but his home is the United States. And he doesn't speak for himself. He represents, he's positive. He's trying to build bridges between the United States and France. And God says, I've left you here if you're a Christian. And, and one of the primary reasons is for you to help other people come to Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. I'm a coach. I'm a student, I'm a housewife, I'm retired, I'm a business person. He says we are all ambassadors of Christ. We, and it's plural there, talking to the Christians in Corinth and talking to the Christians in Russia. All of us have a task to help other people come to Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons he has left you here. In verse 20, he says we implore you, literally we beg you to come to Christ. Christian, I would just ask you, when was the last time you begged somebody to come to Jesus? Oh, I would never do that. Why wouldn't you do that? God said to do it. Paul said to do it. That's how important it is. But that's your calling, Christian. Again, we'll talk about it more in the weeks ahead. I don't want you to miss that. But that's third base. We're going to touch first base this morning. And I want to ask you this, or I want to drive this home to you. You need to make sure you don't miss your eternal calling. 
Before you can have a calling as a Christian, you have to be a Christian. You have to touch first base. Your eternal calling is, is come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We use the word becoming a Christian, being saved, being born again. It's finding forgiveness of your past. It's finding a better life here. It's finding assurance that when you die, and be certain that you will, that you're going to heaven when you die. That's the first calling God has on your life. Let me tell you this morning, I believe God wants to do a lot of things through you and with your life. You're a Christian, and you become one today. He wants to use you to bring other people to him. But make no mistake about it, you can't do anything until you know Christ first, personally. In verse 1, it's a very powerful verse. It says, working together with him, this is helping people do this, we appeal to you, a strong word, we plead with you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. If you're taking notes, the words in this passage are significant. I think the words in the whole Bible are significant because God gave us these words. He gave us the language that they were spoken in. And that word receive means to receive something in full. It means to accept an offer, listen, readily and deliberately. You do not become a Christian accidentally. You don't fall into the kingdom of God. You didn't trip into, you may trip in the baptismal pool. You won't trip into heaven. This is to receive something. He's talking about Jesus Christ deliberately by an, by an act of your will. You receive it in full, not in part. Some of us have got enough of Christianity to be dangerous, but we don't belong to Christ. To receive something deliberately in full, a powerful word. And he says to receive what? The grace of God. The biblical word grace is a tremendous word. If you were to look in some theological dictionaries, it might take up five pages. I'm going to tell you simply what the grace of God here means. It means his unearned, undeserved favor. Isn't that good? God's unearned. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it, but God gives it to us. Let me, let me define real quickly three biblical terms that are important. Justice, mercy, and grace. Justice is getting what you deserve. We looked at that last Sunday morning. Let's say your curfew is 1230, and you show up at 10 till 1, and your parents take your phone from you and don't let you go out next week. That's called what? Justice. You don't like your parents, but you're getting what you deserve, correct? That's justice. Let's say you come in at 12.50, and your parents say, we're going to let, let it slide this time. That's called mercy. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. You deserve punishment, but you don't get it. Grace is getting something you don't deserve in a positive way. Grace is coming in at 12.50 when you were supposed to be in at 12.30, and your parents saying, oh, you're so precious. You can come in at 2 next week because you missed curfew. And your parents should be reported to Child Protective Services because they don't have a very good brain at that point. Amen? That's never going to happen, but that's what grace is. Grace is getting what you don't deserve in a good way. When God says, I want to offer you grace, God's saying, you don't deserve this. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough, rich enough, powerful enough. You can't talk me into it. I'm going to give this to you. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to pour my goodness out on you, period. Now, grace can be applied to a lot of things. God answering prayers are protecting us from things. God blessing us with stuff we don't deserve. That's grace. But grace is also in the Bible tied in completely and totally to salvation. And that's what it's talking about in this 
this passage. It's talking about salvation. If you look in verse 2, it, in the context, for he says, In a favorable time I listened to you. In the day of salvation I helped you. But now is the favorable time. Behold, in other words, sit up and listen. The day of salvation is right now. So the, the grace of God here is not talking about answered prayer or blessings in another way. It's clearly talking about salvation. Listen to what he says again in verse 1. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. If you're taking notes, this word vain, man, it's important. It means empty or hollow. It means not real. It means whatever you got, it's not accompanied by the Spirit and by power. The antonym, the opposite of this, is genuine and real and sincere. When he says don't receive the grace of God in vain, he's saying God's gracious offer of salvation, you don't need to receive it in a shallow or hollow or an empty or a dead and a powerless way. Wow, that's scary. It's scary for a lot of reasons, but one way it's scary is because it's possible. It's possible. There's a theological belief that says that the grace of God and salvation is irresistible. Charles Swindoll is a great Bible teacher. He was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary in Texas. He's a pastor in Texas, a great writer. And I simply love what he says about grace being irresistible. In other words, when God wants to save you, it's just going to happen. He says it's simply not in the Bible. And this passage here simply lays that out, that it's possible to not receive the grace of God or to receive it in vain in an empty and shallow way. Now, I want to tell you, if you're, if you're here today, this is the first time you've ever been in church, man, we are so glad. Are you watching on the Internet and you don't know much about religion, religion? That's great, and this is for you. But there's no question when God was speaking these words through Paul, he was talking clearly and directly to church people. People who had had the opportunity to respond to the grace of God. People that the grace of God had been offered to but for some reason, they didn't get it. So I want to try to answer a question a couple, in this brief time this morning. How do we receive the grace of God in vain? How does this happen? It's, it's obviously very possible because it's in the Bible. I didn't write this. Do you all agree with that? Please agree with that. Yeah, I snuck into your house last night and into your computers, and I put this. It's been in the Bible a long time, 2,000 years. How is this possible? I want to give you three ways this happens. Three ways I believe it unpacks. These aren't exhaustive, but I think these are clear. Number one is we didn't understand our decision for Christ. We just didn't understand what we did. You made a decision for Christ, and you didn't really understand what you were doing. Maybe you were sincere. Maybe you wanted to do it. I hear this over and over and over from people who grew up in the church. In fact, your, your pastors here at this church, and I know at other churches in town, we try to be very deliberate to make sure the best we can that people understand what they're doing before they get baptized, before they join the church. A lot of times people have made a, shot, a shallow or a hollow or an empty decision for Jesus Christ. They just didn't understand. When I was nine years old, I walked down front. I was crying. I, I knew something was going on in my heart. I didn't know what it was. It's called conviction, the Holy Spirit. He's going to be doing that in some of your hearts this morning. But I walked down front, and, and they patted me on the head. And my pastor was a good guy. My parents were wonderful. I guess they just thought I knew what I was doing. I, they, they filled out a card. They said I was saved. Two weeks later, I got baptized. 
And the only thing they talked about in, in the baptismal meeting was the order we were getting baptized. And I was the youngest, so I went first. So I got baptized and left, and I would have told you I was a Christian, but I was not. I had received the grace of God in vain. I just didn't understand what I was doing. That's happened to some of you. Some of you have that testimony. Some of you are having that experience right now in your heart. You just didn't understand. Here's the second thing that happens. We weren't sincere. Now, listen, this is not meant to be a shot at you. This is not meant to be... Uh, a mean thing, but this is, this is a true thing. Sometimes you look back and you go, something's missing in my life. God has not made a difference in my life. I'm no different than anybody else. I'm no different than, than I was before I professed Christ or I was baptized. And maybe you just weren't, you just weren't sincere. You, you, did it, you did it for your parents. Uh, everybody else was getting baptized. At a certain age in your church, you get confirmed or you, you get sprinkled. So you, you, you went through the motions and you did it. A lot of times when we'll baptize children here, the other kids want to get baptized. That's fine, but, but you need to know Christ before you get baptized. Sometimes it's just not sincere. When I was in college, we had a great citywide crusade, and, and hundreds of people were saved. And one of the guys on the first night of the crusade who became a Christian was a guy that lived about right next to me in the dorms. And the weird thing was, is he was the minister of music at a church. He had led music that morning, and that night he walks down the invitation, and he gives his life to Christ. So I went and said, Steve, tell me, tell me what happened. You, two years ago, you were a freshman in college, and you said you gave your life to Christ, and you were baptized, and you're leading music in a church. What happened? He said, Chris, I, I just I didn't mean what I was doing. He said, I look back on it now, the minister of youth at the church he was in, he said he met me in the gym, and he said, Steve, you want to become a Christian? I said, sure, why not? We knelt down in the gym, and we began to pray a prayer to ask Jesus into my life. And he said, while we're praying that prayer, I'm looking around at girls. I'm checking out the girls in the gym. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. Whoo, man. Jesus, come into my heart. She is pretty good looking. I need to get her, you know. He said, I just did not mean what I was doing. I would ask you this morning, is it possible that you've received the grace of God in vain? Maybe you just, you weren't sincere. Not that you were evil, you, you just, you weren't sincere. In the book of Acts, there's a story of a guy named Simon the Sorcerer. What a, what a name to be stuck with, Simon the Sorcerer. But Simon the Sorcerer, he hears some of the apostles I mean, not just some Baptist preacher. He hears some of the apostles preach, and he professes Christ, and he gets baptized, and, and then he makes some really dumb, bad statements later, and they tell him, basically, you better repent or you're going to bust hell wide open. Not sincere, didn't understand what he was doing, but he received the grace of God in vain. Here's a third thing and a common thing with religious people. We're counting on the wrong things to save us. We're just counting on the wrong things to save us. I mean, even if we're sincere, uh, even if we have some understanding, we, we just, again, we, we go, we go, you know, well, I was confirmed at this point, which is fine. I was sprinkled, which is fine. I was baptized. We baptized a lot of people here. That's, that's great. But none of those things in and of themselves allow you to receive the grace of God properly. Several years ago, this was in USA Today, there was an article about a, a movement. I don't know if it's still going on or not, but it was in California 
where they were just doing, they called them kind of unireligion baptisms. And this one couple came to this priestess lady, and she was going to baptize their kids. And here's what they said. We grew up Presbyterian, but we're not much into Christianity anymore. She said, we like Christianity, L-I-T-E. We like it light. We don't really know who's up there or who's down there, but we want to cover all of our bases, so we want our little child baptized. This is true. Listen to what she went on to say. We believe in angels. We believe in fairies. We believe in leprechauns. We believe in Jesus, and we believe in Santa, and we want to cover our bases. Well, I believe in Santa Claus. I don't know about fairies and leprechauns, but you know what? It doesn't matter if you get baptized in the name of Santa Claus or you get baptized in the name of Jesus and you're not sincere. That's not what's going to get you to heaven. It's, it's, it's not about those things. You go, well, I'm a church member. Man, I, listen, I love church members. <laughs> church members are good for my job security. Does that make sense? I am pro-church member. But you can be a member of a church and, and not have your name written on God's book in heaven. That's not going to get you to heaven. You say, well, I'm a good person. Here's what you hear a lot of times. I'm better than the people at that church. And that may be absolutely, absolutely true. But, but being good is not going to get you to heaven. Muhammad Ali was the great heavyweight fighter in the 60s and 70s. And late in his life, as he was facing death, he said, he was asked about heaven. And what he said was, well, I think God's going to decide whether how good you were or bad you were. And if you're good enough, you're going to get to heaven. I had a, an older man tell me years ago, we went to a church where they told him in, in his Sunday school class, when you get to heaven, God's going to put your good deeds on one scale and your bad deeds on the other. And whatever weighs the most determines whether you go up or down forever. Some of you are in trouble. We all are. The Bible says we cannot be saved by our good deeds. Now, it's interesting. A Christian is a person who, by virtue of their faith in Christ, does good things, but good deeds are a result. They're, they're not the cause you're not going to heaven because you're good. You say, well, I'm religious. That's good. Good for you. In Jesus' day, the most religious people, the snooty, most arrogant, Bible-thumping, judgmental, knock-that-cigarette-pull-that-snuff-out-of-your-mouth people were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I had a guy tell me years ago, he said, Chris, the Pharisees are alive and well today, and amen they are. Do you know what Jesus told the Pharisees on a number of occasions? If you don't repent and get your heart right, you are going to bust hell wide open. Being religious is not going to get you to heaven. I want to ask you this. and Raise your hand, unless you, unless you don't. How many of you believe in Jesus? How many of you believe that he died on the cross? You believe that? You believe he rose from the dead? Amen. I believe that. Did you know this? This is scary. Do you know the devil believes that? Here's a terrifying passage, James 2.19. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one, there is one God, you do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. Folks, the devil himself, he saw Jesus crucified. He saw Jesus walk out of the tomb. And I've joked for years, the devil may be a Baptist, but he's not a Christian. You, you, listen, you've got to believe in Jesus mentally. That's part of the process, but that's not enough. See, the reason some of us have received the grace of God in vain, and it's very possible because this passage tells us it is, is we're counting on the wrong things. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, listen to what it says. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. You were saved by God's grace through faith. John 1.12 explains faith very well. But to all who received him and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Folks, listen. To receive the grace of God of salvation properly, you receive it by faith. What does that look like? It means you come to a point in your life where you deliberately say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I want to turn from my sins. And I do believe that you're the Son of God who died and arose. I believe that. But you take it one step farther, and you receive Jesus. Jesus, come into my life, and I surrender my life to you. That's how you receive the grace of God for salvation properly. So I want to challenge you this morning. I mean, our big challenge this morning is today, is today, right now, to respond properly to Christ. Verse 1 and 2, working together with him, we appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in an empty, ineffective, dead way. For he says, but in a favorable time, I listened to you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That word day there in your Bible can mean two or three things. It can mean a 24-hour period, a day. It can also mean a time period or a time frame. How many of you young people hear your parents talk about the day, back in the day, back, back when we had a telephone and it stuck on the wall? How many of you old-timers remember the phone back in the day? Kids, let me tell you, young people, it was terrible. Because your parents had as much access to that phone as, as you did. You couldn't text. You couldn't Snapchat. You couldn't Instagram. And you could only get away from your parents as long as the cord was, right? That was back in the day. It was horrible. It was terrible. It was torture. When it talks about the day of salvation, certainly people in the Old Testament be, could be saved. But he's talking uniquely here about the time of Christ, about the time from Jesus' birth and his death and his resurrection until he comes again. That, that, that's the day of salvation in this time period. And I want to make it personal. Your day of salvation is your time here on this earth. You ever looked at a, a, a tombstone in the graveyard? There's a date of birth and there's a date of death. And in between is the dash. And that dash represents your day of salvation. And God says the time to respond to him is today. If you're a Christian, the time to start being an ambassador for Jesus Christ is not when you get more knowledge and you're more pumped up for Jesus. It's today you need to start helping people come to Christ. And if you're not a Christian, listen, I know, well, that's just preacher talk. No, it's the truth. You need to respond to Jesus Christ today. You know why? Because today is the only day that you're assured of. It is. 95% of the people who died yesterday thought they were going to live longer. Ponder that thought. 95% of the people who died yesterday thought, well, I've had years, months at least. You just don't know. We just don't know. And here's what the devil's telling some of you right now. I, I guarantee you. He's saying you need to respond to Jesus but wait. 1982, I was, I was 19 then, 10 years past that first vain decision for Christ. And I heard a sermon and I went home and I thought, man, I need to do something. 
All my friends were lost. I mean, it was going to be radical because I, it, only Christians I knew were girls and sissies. So it was going to be radical for me. And the devil, this devil started whispering in my ear. You know what he was, he said, you need to do this. You do need to do this. But wait, think about it. Spend some time with it. Go back next week to church and listen again. And, and I honestly believe if I would have pushed it off, it may have never happened. That voice in your head, listen, you may need to talk to people. You may need some more clarity. I don't doubt that at all. But Jesus says to, to them and he says to us, the day of salvation, the time is today. It's today. You don't need to miss this. The opportunity is now. How will you respond? Let's pray. If you're a Christian, I, I hope God's speaking to your heart about what he wants to do through you and with you. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure, maybe right now the Holy Spirit's really tugging on your heart and you're ready to cross that line with Christ sincerely, pray with me. Pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. Jesus, I do believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart and I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a moment. If you want to respond to a decision after church, I'll be at this door. Other ministers will be around. We would love to help you. Maybe you want to join the church today. You can do that after church, or you can, when we stand in a moment, you can come and join our church. We'd love for you to. Maybe as a Christian, where you're standing or at the altar, it needs to be a time of recommitment and renewal for your relationship and your mission here on this earth. Do that today. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart, or you're ready to do that. Again, we'll talk to you after church, or you can come right now. Listen, God says don't receive it in vain, and the time to do it is now. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.